Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 581. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. And thanks to Storic Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. Save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot system and an air conditioner. If you don't have time to build your own, they also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. Well, I met today's guest, Laura Gonzalez, at the 2021 Slow Flowers Summit, which took place in the San Francisco Bay Area at Filoli Historic House and Gardens. Laura lives nearby in a beautiful place called Swallow's Secret Garden. She aspires to share the joy and beauty of the flowers she grows with her customers, friends, and neighbors in the Santa Cruz community. And Laura grows a diverse collection of artisanal and seasonal flowers. She says... As gardener-in-chief, I craft each arrangement exclusively from the flowers and plants grown on site. If you watched our award-winning Slow Flowers video released a year ago, you'll probably have heard Laura's voice as she spoke about the values of Slow Flower Society in that video. She said, when I joined Slow Flowers, I felt like I had found the floral mothership. We're all just sharing an exchange of ideas and a feeling of support that's incredible. I love that quote. I wanted to learn more about Laura's operation and about the origin of her business name and all those resident swallows. Also, I wanted to learn how she came to flowers. For our video, we started with a video introduction that Laura created to share, and then we wrapped up with a Q&A. You'll hear both those segments in today's podcast. I know you'll enjoy learning about this gardener florist, and you'll want to visit slowflowerspodcast.com to watch the replay video. Uh, you'll be able to look for that at episode 581. I'll also share links to Swallow's Secret Garden social places so you can follow along with Laura on her journey. Let's jump right in and get started. Hi, Slow Flowers community. This is Laura Gonzalez. Welcome to Swallow's Secret Garden in Scotts Valley, California. It's a beautiful sunny fall day here in our zone 9B garden. Um, after having about a week of pea soup fog, it's really great to be out and a good chance to be able to walk you around the garden. So here is some Gara that really likes to self-seed in my front yard and provides a wonderful 
food crop for the birds. If you can see all those seed heads that I've left standing on this gara. I'm gonna walk over here to one of my favorite spots in the garden, which is underneath the maiden tree. So a maiden tree, which is from South America, is a really, really drought tolerant tree that has a beautiful canopy that um, reminds me a lot of a weeping, weeping willow. And so we've created this little seating area underneath the maiden tree. I thought I would focus on two themes today as I walk you around the garden. Um, as you might hear in the interview with Deborah, I'm an English major and I love a good theme. So I thought I'd talk today about conservation and inspiration. And under the Mayton tree is a good place to start because I chose this tree because it works really well in my situation. It's drought tolerant, um, but it's also super inspiring. I've always wanted a weeping willow tree, probably influenced by some beautiful botanical art in children's books that I read. Um, and I found a way to have something that works in my landscape, but also I find really inspiring and beautiful. Part of what makes our property special is there are some um, at least a century old oaks on the property. And so we've done our best to um, really conserve those oaks and make sure we have a good arborist to help take care of them. Um, it's really wonderful to see here in California that even just a little bit of rain or fog, suddenly all of that wonderful moss on the oak appears. Um, also because the property is entirely sloped, um, the lo we're starting at the lowest point of the property, you're always kind of walking up and one of the things I love about that is being able to see up to the canopy of the trees as you're going up. And here's a, an old um, Japanese maple that was here and peeking behind it, you can kind of see where my rose garden is terraced up the hill. Up above the lower terrace is my rose garden, including a new section that I've been working on this year. So roses here do require a lot of supplemental water in the summer months. Um, so I've set up a drip irrigation system and I will also come through and give them a good watering with the hose as need be during uh, the really hot weeks. And the way that I have balanced out the water needs in my garden is uh, the majority of plants that I have as the backbone of the garden, particularly on the periphery, are native and drought tolerant plants. This is a great plant to talk about in terms of both conservation and inspiration. So the common name for this plant is St. Catherine's Lace, and it's a giant buckwheat that is native to California. And I just, um, I love it because it's so happy here. This is an example of something that I got from a four inch pot and now, you know, has made different babies and I've kind of spread it around. Um, and I just have found so much um, inspiration for floral arrangements with this plant. So very often I will use these um, sage green rosettes at the bottom of an arrangement and they really bring like, bring your eye to the bottom of the arrangement because they've got, um, they reflect the light really well and they're just really soft looking. So I could use those all year round at the bottom of an arrangement. And this, this is, plant is so happy in my environment that I'm not worried about pruning, pruning it back constantly. It just keeps going. 
And then um, we get these umbels of flowers, and they they start out um, even more white than that. And then as the season goes on, they'll get kind of peachy. And then the ones you're seeing in the back are are the ones that are pretty much done when they turn that uh, brown color. So this is a great uh, example of a plant that is a wonderful um, wildlife plant. There's constantly butterflies and other insects on this plant. And it's also just really inspirational for floral design. You can see the sage rosette of St. Catherine's Lace in the peachy and plummy arrangement on the left. And you can see a very um, early stage of the umbels where they almost sparkle like jewels in the arrangement on the right. Another native plant that thrives here is the California coffee berry. Uh, this one that I have is about eight years old and I prune it back pretty thoroughly. And this, this is another wonderful plant where um, I'm keeping it the right size for the garden and I am able to use the foliage in arrangements. But in particular, I like to use these little stems in flower crowns and in corsages. As you can see, it's called coffee berry because it has these really pretty berries that vary in color throughout the season. Here you can see coffee berry used in a flower crown I recently created for a customer who wanted to emphasize the color red. Um, I think the color of the berry is really complementary and the size of the leaves is just about right. Two other native California plants that are great for pollinators and also inspiring for design work are Hucra maxima and Colima grandiflora. Hucra maxima is a perennial that comes from the Channel Islands and the spikes on the plant um, change from a creamy color to start and then go to a blush pink and then they go into a deeper salmon color. Um, and I find them really useful all through the season. Colima grandiflora is an annual that I grew for the first time this year. And um, I'm looking forward to it self-seeding all over the garden because the particular color of the peach and the kind of bouncy ball shape of this uh, giant phlox relative really add a really fun element to arrangements. Lastly, I wanted to mention some native and drought tolerant shrubs that add some real drama to the garden when they're in bloom. So Garia elliptica, also known as the silk tassel tree, is a California native. Um, it's gotten really large. I think it's about 20 feet tall now in my garden. And when it is in bloom, it is absolutely spectacular um, with these long tassels that I, you know, it just makes me think of necklaces. As a matter of fact, sometimes I have people go stand there and pretend they're wearing necklaces. Um, it's not particularly useful for an arrangement that you're going to send home with somebody to keep over the week, but for event design work, for an arrangement that's going to last for a day, they can be pretty spectacular. Um, Ceanothus is a shrub that many people are familiar with. It's a, just such a wonderful ground cover for me. Um, and when it's blooming, it's, it's like nothing else. Um, and also, once again, not it sheds a lot, so not particularly useful for an arrangement, but it can be fun for event design. And then behind the ceanothus in the picture, you'll see that ye that yellow haze, and that's an Azara dentata, which is very drought tolerant. It does need occasionally water watering in the summer, 
Um, but it smells like chocolate. It can make the entire garden from, you know, 40 feet away smell like chocolate when it's in bloom. Um, once again, something that sheds, but um, if an event happens to line up with when it's in bloom, it's, it's a wonderful thing to add. And um, everyone in the room is going to wonder where the chocolate is. On my website, I refer to Swallow Secret Garden as a bio-exuberant borrowed ground. And I bought that bio-exuberance with the dense and diverse planting that I've done on this property that brings uh, joy and sustains life for us and for our community, and most importantly, for the wildlife that lives here. We were aware from the beginning that this was a borrowed ground, those um, century or more old oaks we're here long before us, they'll be here long after us. And the swallows that um, nested on the corner of the house the first year we got here uh, really showed us that they were here, that you know they've probably been passing down for generations that this is a safe place to come and raise their young. So as we were enjoying their acrobatics in the backyard and talking about what we needed to do for the property, we wanted to keep in mind that whatever we did, this was their home and we were gonna keep it a place that they would love and enjoy. It can be windy here, but I'm often surprised to see the amount of movement even when it's still, as the pollinators, birds, and occasional squirrels explore the garden. I'll talk later about the challenge of starting seeds outside in a wildlife dense garden, but I've also learned to appreciate the amount of seeds that start themselves here, sometimes in inconvenient places like this Biden's in a bed where yellow wasn't the color theme or this Borage Alba growing in the path. I have noticed that the flowers that self-seed here often have the great, greatest value to pollinators. In an effort to protect wildlife, we use organic gardening practices, and we also keep water sources clean and circulating when possible. Pickles the garden cat has a bell on his collar to let the birds know when he's coming. And he also has an afternoon curfew to protect him from the occasional coyote or mountain lion that manages to scale our fences. Working with wildlife has inspired me to slow down and observe and be curious rather than react when something is going on with the plants in the garden. I'm not thrilled when the aphids appear in the spring, but I've learned that the ladybugs are coming next. Of course, I'm still going to use the hose to spray the aphids off some of my prize roses. I grew Tweedia for the first time this year, and since it's a milkweed, I first thought the yellow eggs I discovered on the stem might be butterfly eggs. So before reacting, I researched, and when I discovered they were aphids, I could happily rinse them off. This is my seed starting shed. Um, my family helped me get this about 10 years ago because everyone got tired of me making a mess in the guest room, starting seeds inside, and the neighbors wondering why there were grow lights shining through the windows um, for long periods of time. So um, I do start um, the majority of my plants, uh, both annual and perennial by seeds. I really enjoy the challenge of the different kinds of seeds. And I've kind of developed a system over time. So I this is where I start seeds in the winter, when I need the extra warmth and I have, you know, temperature regulated, I have three different zones that I can use. Um, and I need to start um, all of my new varieties 
somewhere that is safe from the creatures that I have welcomed into my garden. So I really um, can't risk trying to start things directly in the ground because um, I have welcomed many, many different uh, birds and insects and even a population of lizards that can really just ravage my seed seedlings to the ground really quickly. So I start things in pots and then I grow them onto the greenhouse, which I'll show you next. This is my uh, unheated greenhouse where I will grow things on in the winter um, as it gets colder. The only thing I have going in here right now are just a couple little sweet pea starts, which looks like they're just starting to sprout. The biggest challenge I have to growing anything here is gophers. You can see where I grow my annual cut flowers and everything goes into four by eight foot semi-raised beds that are entirely lined with gopher wire. Um, the picture on the left shows the four by 100 foot rolls of gopher wire that I buy to line the beds and also to make gopher baskets for anything else that I'm gonna plant in the garden. My floral business has brought me in connection with my community in really wonderful ways. I appreciate little fun moments, like when a customer shows up and her outfit is serendipitously color coordinated with her arrangement, or the joy of seeing friends and neighbors outside at the flower cart while the pandemic was making everybody feel really isolated. And the bespoke bouquet orders over the last two years have connected me to losses in the community with a good number of condolence bouquets but also joys like the bouquet on the right that a man ordered as a way to announce to his mom that she was going to be a grandmother. One particularly meaningful experience this past year was when some members of our local Ukrainian community asked me to come demonstrate and sell Vinok at a fundraiser uh, for Ukraine. Vinok are the traditional Ukrainian flower crowns. Um, I just had a few weeks to prepare, but my friends rallied to help, and we were able to not only raise funds for humanitarian aid, but we also had the joy of learning and sharing a very important floral art that is central to Ukrainian culture. And Deborah, thank you for all you do to create a community of flower people where we can support and inspire each other. Wow, that was a great tour, and I love the thoughtfulness uh, that Laura uh, brought to the presentation, as she said, she was an English major. <laughs> so you can tell she's a great communicator. We're going to pivot now to um, the uh, interview I did with Laura uh, just a couple days ago. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so excited to continue this conversation with Laura Gonzalez of Swallow's Secret Garden. And we're going to just have a, our, our little Q&A now. How, how are you, Laura? I'm doing really well. It's a nice foggy morning here, which I enjoy. So yeah, doing great. Oh yeah. And you're in your studio with all your dried flowers behind you. They're so and fresh, it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, um, I've been wanting to have you on the Slow Flowers podcast. I think people may uh hear your voice on the video we did last year, the membership video. And that was so fun because we actually met at the at Filoli at the Slow Flowers Summit in 2021. That's kind of in your backyard, yes. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a uh, very similar climate and growing conditions to where I am here. So put Scotts Valley, California on the map and give us a snapshot of Swallow's Secret Garden. 
Okay, I'll do that. Um, so Scotts Valley is in the foothills of the Santa Cruz Mountains, and um, it is just over the hill from Silicon Valley, another valley that you would have heard of. Some people like to talk about it as sort of like an extension or a bedroom community for um, Silicon Valley. Um, and we are in, technically we're zone 9B, but where I am, I it's kind of a cold uh, 9B sometimes, so I think I'm, you know, more reliably like a 9A. Mm -hmm. um, and then our sunset zone, for those who are familiar with that, would be uh, like a cold zone 15. Okay, um, because Sunset Magazine has kind of their own um, growing zones for the whole West, the whole West, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that are a little more specific and have a little more descriptive. Like, I, I remember when I first looked that up, one of the descriptions was a punishing afternoon wind. And that is definitely true in this in the summer. We'll get like oh. a afternoon wind. Oh my gosh, your poor yeah. little your poor little plants. That's crazy. Okay, <laughs> but you are kind of you're very coastal because um, you're you're close to the you're close to the uh, Pacific Coast, right? Yeah. So we'll get um we'll get a strong marine influence. Um, of course, with climate change, everything is changing. Yeah. So, you know, it used to be reliably, we would call it a June gloom where it would be foggy during most of June. This year we had like fog and even some rain in May and then June was kind of hot. And so everything seems <clears throat> to be changing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then where I am is, it really is in the foothills. It kind of looks like we're in a little bowl if you look around us because there's, you know, trees up behind us and trees in front of us. Um, you know, uh, it's oaks and and redwoods and pines um, and it's a sloped property. So I'm a little under two acres, which is great, but it's all sloped. So everywhere wow. we want to have um, it slopes up. So everywhere I want to have flat growing ground, I've had to terrace to make wow. that happen. Wow. Yeah. And we'll probably see that in the video as you share uh, a little yeah. walk around. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of just showing how intrepid you are that you've got this, you know, afternoon winds and heat and every every I mean, it's just living in California. It's ever changing. But you live at your garden, right? I mean, this is your your residential space, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so it it really is a garden. Um, you know, we named it Swallow Secret Garden for the swallows that were here when we got here, and they're they're tree swallows. Like I mentioned, we're kind of in this bowl of trees, mm -hmm. um, and so you know they were here first. And even when we ended up having to you know almost take the house down to the studs when we we moved in we put up a pole where they had clearly been nesting on the corner of the house so that they could come. Um, and then every year we're, we're adding more um, little wooden bird houses around the house, like swallow houses. There's some other birds that have gotten in there too. The swallows have to compete now. Um, and I'm kind of wondering when we're going to stop because it's just so fun. You know, you can hear them and then see the little fledglings coming out. Um, so yeah, it's that's why it's named for the swallows. Um, the secret part is because when we moved in, um, the lady who sold us the house, she did sell us the house. It was a, one of those competitive times um, because I wrote about the garden. Mm. Um, but in reality, she did not believe that you should ever cut a plant. Like she could, kind of thought it hurt them. And so <laughs> um, it was a little bit of a like 
haunted house vibe and that there were trees kind of leaning on the roof and you had to crawl through things. There were stuff that we didn't even know was here, like the studio that I'm sitting in, which is a guest house. When we, before we made an offer on the house, we didn't even know this was here because there was a wisteria that had like grown over the house. You know, I um, always, I always say if we don't tend our gardens for, you know, if we for, take a year off, the garden's going to, you know, take back the land and the house. And oh, wisteria yeah. is one of those scary ones too, especially in California. I've seen them cross fences into other people's yards and and keep oh. going, right? Definitely. And really does not require any irrigation. I mean, it just it just goes and goes and goes. Wow. The secret garden was the hidden garden that you then kind of created some order and brought back to life once you, you know, I guess, made the house habitable, right? Right. Yes. Um, and yeah, and 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 props to my family for having faith. <laughs> Particularly my husband, who was like, really? Wait, how how long have you lived there, Laura? So um, I, I've i been uh, gardening here for 18 years. Okay, okay. Um, my business is just three years old because it was a pandemic inspiration. Um, but yeah, that, I've been creating the garden for, for about 18 years. Oh my goodness. So yeah. had you um, gardened just for pleasure and for your own, you know, sanity to create a beautiful space around your family residence? Is that sort of what what the space was devoted to before your pandemic project? Well, do you want to find out how plant crazy I am? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. We want to feel, we want to feel that we're not alone. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That was what was so fantastic about that slow flower summit. I was like, I am not the only crazy person. Um, I remember that. You're like, I I found my people. Yeah, I think I called it the mothership. That <laughs> <laughs> was so yeah. funny, yeah. Um, so I think I have always, always been obsessed with plants in the natural world. Like I have always been happiest when I was outside, you know, looking up at the canopy of trees, playing in the dirt, you know, um, any of that. I, I think when I was younger, I just didn't really know that horticulture was an option for me. That was not anything anybody I knew did or talked about. Um, I was a writer. And so, you know, all my teachers and everybody encouraged me to be an English major, um, which I loved. Uh, but um, I yeah, I was always and everywhere I went, I would find a garden that you know, I could go to, that was where I always got my sense of peace and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, the obsession just kind of grew and grew and grew when my um, husband and I bought our first house, there was a rhododendron. I didn't really know what a rhododendron was. And I was like, this thing is so beautiful. How can something be so beautiful? And then we got a little help with the garden and I was like, oh, there's all, you know, a rose is not just a rose. It, I, I remember my first rose was a Graham Thomas. Mm. Um, and then I got so obsessed with those David Austin roses. Um, I've always had a connection with England, did a year abroad in England, just love English gardens. So, you know, I just kind of, and then Annie's annuals happened. People may not know what this like haven for plants is in the Bay Area, but I've been there a number of times and I get their catalog. So describe what that is for people who are in that same zone, right? You can grow everything that they sell. That's scary too. Well, I mean, 
I, I, I may be causing plant problems for people because you can order from them. <laughs> so, yes, but um, so our local nursery, there's a, a nursery on River Street in Santa Cruz, has always had Annie's annuals. Okay. And what makes what makes them special, I actually buy more. They, it says annuals, but you can buy perennials and you can even buy little, you know, four inch pots that turn into, as I have in the yard, trees and shrubs. Um, <laughs> annuals and so, is just the first of her list. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what, what makes them different, and it was the first time I ever saw that, is, you know, you can afford to buy a little four inch pot and very often it's something that you just see leaves and it's not in bloom, but they were the first I saw that had, they have laminated cards that have pictures that show you what this plant can become and descriptions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is, I always find like the English major and the plant person, when they come together, that's when things can just go completely wacky because <laughs> you're I, like seduced by the descriptions and the narrative. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I started really being like, I want to grow everything, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that has been going on for a long time. That has been going on for mm, over 30 years where I have been like gradually becoming more and more just, I, I just fall in love with a plant and I want to know everything about the plant. I want to know its backstory, its origin. I want to know what the plant explorers did with it. I want to know, you know, oh, love it. Um, and so, and, and originally on this property, um, we were calling it Swallow Secret Farm because my first um, growing passion was really practical, edible things. Mm. So, um, the property, you know, it has an orchard. I have kind of one of everything, except I tried to grow a pawpaw and that didn't work. Your children were at home then. You were probably trying to feed them what you grew, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, but I, you know, I grew olive trees and I tried to make my own olive oil. That didn't go well. Wow, that's hardcore. Um, I can cure olives. Yeah. And oh, and then I have a lavender hill. And I tried to distill my own lavender oil. <laughs> so like yeah. how far can you push every one of these plants to its uh, ultimate purpose? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So where did you live before you moved there? You Were you in the San, Santa Cruz area also just in a different house or? Um, so I grew up, I lived in Saratoga till I was 10. Um, and, you know, live there kind of at the beginning of the whole tech boom. So it was orchard land and everything like that. Wow. Uh, wow. And we were in a new suburb there. And then when I was 10, this amazing thing happened where my family moved to this little town called San Martin that's sandwiched in between Morgan Hill and Gilroy. Um, and um, I was in, I got into 4-H and I raised farm animals Um we, we it was a kind of a similar acreage. We moved from just a suburban lot to, um, I think it might have been my dad that maybe had the kind of um, farmer yearnings. Country yeah. and wanted more of a country place. Yeah, and he was obsessed with compost. Like he had this massive compost pile that was like his. You know, went and coded for IBM during the day and came home and composted at night. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so we it. were there. Um, and then I went to school in Santa Barbara, which is of course another beautiful 
place. Yes. Gardens galore. Yeah. And, um, and then I did a year abroad in England that had like a huge influence on me. Um, came back, did a graduate program in San Francisco and then, uh, met my husband in the Bay area. And then we made the mature decision that whoever got a job near the beach first, that's where we would move. <laughs> I love it. That's so smart. It so, is a good yeah. decision. Yeah. So we had, we ended up in Santa Cruz County. Mm, okay. So this is, um, you gardened at another property. And then in the last 18 years, you've really like been all in at Swallow's Secret Garden, formerly Swallow's Secret yeah. Farm. Um, well, what, what triggered your, your, you sort of told us your path to plants, but what triggered your actual decision to become a cut flower grower and build out this as a, as a, I would say you're a, a gardener florist probably. Was that a fair way to describe it? Oh, it's just interesting that you say that because I would I have been thinking about this recently that I say farmer florist because that's a term that people recognize, but I really do think I'm more of a gardener florist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because you don't have like row crops or you know something that would would read as a farm because it's your it's your ornamental garden as well. Yeah. And it was the ornamental garden that um, I just started adding more and more and more. And, um, you know, I was frequently asked to make arrangements for, you know, events to raise money for different charitable groups. Um, I was, you know, very often putting together things for friends and I started getting more interested in floral design work. Um, and, and then I actually did really get into growing more cut flowers. You know, I, the zinnias and the dahlias were maybe like my gateway. And then I just kind of started getting into that, how I grow, because believe it or not, the slope and the afternoon wind and the tending towards sandy soil is not my biggest challenge. My biggest challenge is the gophers. Wow. Wow. So I do have a method that I use where I create these, they're, they're raised beds that are not raised very high, but enough so that I can put gopher wire underneath those. And so all of my annual cut flower crops are, and that works on terraces too, because mm-hmm. you can level out their like um, four by eight beds and I rotate my um, annual cut flowers through there. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like I, I talk to people who have above ground pests like deer and then they've got their own infrastructure they've got to deal with. And then these underground pests can be just as damaging to, you know, to the gophers can just come up and just ruin a whole bed, probably um, snacking away at the roots. Um, is that what they're eating is the roots? Yeah, they, um, so the, the sandier, the soil gets it go as it goes up the property. Um, the worse the gophers mm, are, because mm. it's just real easy for them to, you know, kind of they can they can make a they can make a huge mess. Wow, wow. Um, and sometimes it's the mess, not so much the roots. And of course, I did mention that my first and greatest obsession is the roses. Yeah. So I think I have about seventy different varieties of mm. roses now. Um, and I have learned over time. So when I first started planting them, I made a gopher cage that was kind of like this. And then I started making them like this. <laughs> and now I make these like, you know, really 
extensive gopher cages that I've, I've learned I have to like even put bend over the top toward because they would sometimes burrow okay. in there. Okay. So they so, are coming from the top as well as the underneath. Wow. Yeah, oh my dear. They'll do that. This, the, the links that we go to. <laughs> well, while we're talking, I just pulled up your website. I'm going to put it on the screen so we can just, uh, I can ask you a little bit about your designs, um, sure. products and, um, let me see if I can find that really quickly. So this is your flower shop that you have, um, artisanal, seasonal, local flowers from our bio-exuberant borrowed ground. I've never heard that phrase before. I love it. That's the writer in you, Laura. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Um, so is, this is what, when people want to place an order, this is what they're coming to, they, they generally start here? Yes, yeah. I, I have two kind of quick order buttons on my homepage, but yeah, this is the the flower. Okay, shop. so you, I, did you? Who did the illustrations for you? These are so pretty. Um, so I actually purchased those off of a, a small artist on Etsy because oh, I wow. thought they were really beautiful. Yeah, oh, they just fit. They fit the personality of your garden inspired yes. designs, yeah. but but also help people to see kind of what they're going to get depending right. on the size. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, one thing that I do, um, so my design process has never really changed. You asked, you know, how I moved into having a, a flower business from just being an obsessive gardener. And the process that I would use where I would create those arrangements for my friends or for events is really the same process I use right now, which is I just take a walk through the garden. Mm. I get as much information as I can about, so like for those bespoke bouquets, um, I get uh, as much information. So that was a bouquet that was supposed to bring uh, the the peach one there was supposed to bring um, comfort to somebody who was recovering from a surgery. Oh, that's um, beautiful. And I will, you know, find out about for the bespoke bouquets, I'll find out about the person and what the situation is as much as somebody wants to share. And then I will go look and, and, you know, if somebody has a color preference, I'll start there. Um, and that they wanted like a soft yellows for that. So like uh, this one is a bespoke with the roses and yeah. it's a much more, um, kind of high, uh, like value added flowers in, as opposed to say the sunflowers and zinnias, right? Right. I now, interestingly to me, because I don't use any outside flowers, it's only what I grow. Um, it's either going to look beautiful on the rose bush, or it's going to look beautiful in an arrangement. So the calculus is a little bit different for me. Um, I I think what I struggle with the most is not going too crazy and stuffing too much in the bouquet because, you know, there's always yeah. a lot to choose from. You want to make a profit here. These are so beautiful. There's, there's a per, this is your, from your Instagram feed, right? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Well, I just wanted to show that gallery a little bit, but people can come check you out and, and see a little bit more, but um, back to the ordering, the bespoke, it, you have a good description here. It's really a, a kind of a curated arrangement, whereas the small, medium, and large are, are kind of best of season, right? Yeah. And, and that is, um, I really do have two customer streams. So I have, um, it's all local because I only deliver within a five mile uh, driving radius for the delivery. 
Um, and then everything else you see, those seasonal arrangements are all for pickup. Okay. So my two streams would be local people who want to order and they usually come pick something up. So that can just be, you know, somebody wants an arrangement just to have an arrangement or they're going know, to a dinner party or something like something that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, the sp- bespoke bouquets, those are the only ones I have for delivery. And um, I do, I would say my number one customer base is out of town pe- people that want to order local flowers uh, for somebody locally. Sure, sure. And they're choosing, they're they're finding you because they're taking some intentionality. There's some intentionality to their search. They're not just going to a wire service or, you know, a 1-800-something. I mean, they're really looking for local, seasonal, locally yeah. grown. Yeah. I love that. That's wonderful. And, and my international customers who want to order for somebody in um, Northern uh, Santa Cruz County, which is basically where we are, they're finding me through you. Oh, great. Oh, that yeah. makes me happy. <laughs> so I've had orders from England and Australia. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. And Laura, you know, I always hope that it's through Slow Flowers, but I can't compete with Google as a search engine. So, you know, I realized that uh, people who are growing like you are, you need to be, you know, found through all kinds of, you know, search right. tools because um, you're competing with these multi-billion dollar flower companies that can buy up all the keywords. So I I love knowing that some of these customers are coming from abroad. That's wonderful. Can I click on the flower club? And and can you talk a little bit about that before we kind of wrap things up? Okay. So what is the flower club? So the flower club is something that I um, started. uh, If you look at, let's see, if you go to the sign up, you can probably see. um, Oh, a little bit more about it. Okay, great. Yeah, so um, that's something that I started to just encourage uh, local customers to, you know, give me repeat business and for me to be able to serve them better. Um, And so it just, you know, gives them a discount on some of the flowers. Uh, But more importantly, it puts them first on the list when I do um, certain events. Mm -hmm. So one of the the other things that I do that this past year, I really haven't been able to do um, as much as I would have liked because we had, you know, some family um, events and things that were taking me out of town. But I do have, occasionally I'll have a flower cart. So I will, when I'm, you know, have a big flush of blooms, I'll put together an event and um, I will advertise it. And I tend to send those advertisements first to the flower club members so that they know um, and they'll have priority, especially also if I'm having something that is like a one and done, like my lilacs, you know, Mm. I'll let them pay the lilacs are blooming. So it's Uh, almost like a pop-up sale, but, but they're, they're the, they're the first to find out about it. The people in the club. I just wanted to click over to the swallows and we'll, we'll talk about this in the video, but I will share the link in our uh, show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com so people can see more about these swallows and the story of the garden. So, uh, of course, the fact that you are such a, a comfortable writer, I I now it, it all falls into place for me that you're writing yeah. the story of your garden and you're communicating with your customers that way. Wow. So on the swallows, yeah. Laura, what is it? Are they 
Are this sort of a local phenomenon or like I'm picturing like these, these, the sky filled with birds all flying in, in kind of in tandem. Is that what they're like? Sometimes that happens. Yeah. They're tree swallows. And because we're, you know, you can see in those pictures, we're surrounded by these trees. Um, there's actually like a, a little pond um, across from us. And, you know, we have some birds there too. Um, but yeah, they just in the, sometimes in the summer, you look up in the sky and I mean, they're just dipping and diving and doing their acrobatics. And there's just this one corner of the house where they've always come, you know, they say that birds pass on that information through generations about wow. like a safe place where they come. Wow. And I do, this is, this is a wildlife um, refuge, really, truly. Um, and I do try to, you know, I use all organic methods and there are certain things that I grew thinking that they would be great in arrangements and they have turned out to be like kind of fussy or wilty or whatever, but I can't get rid of them because the birds yeah. just like, I've got a gara uh, uh, in the front yard and um, it will take over. I do have to cut it back, but it's <laughs> getting long stems and there's these little finches that look like they're on pogo sticks the way that they love to eat those seeds. Oh, and so cute. I'm just like, okay, that's, that's, staying. that's my gift but, to nature. Um, yeah. I yeah. love that. I assumed that if you had this bird habitat that you were going to, um, you're gardening without any kind of um, synthetic uh, additives or chemicals because you're so conscious and, and concerned about these beautiful creatures that kind of define yeah. the name of your brand. Yeah. I yeah. And I, we are, I mean, we are, you asked me about deer and one of the benefits of moving here is it was already all fenced in. Uh, so yeah. we don't, you know, we do, uh, though, occasionally <laughs> my neighbors have called me and said, Hey, do you know, there's a mountain lion taking a sun bath in your back? <laughs> And we had a raging battle with coyotes about two years ago after the CZU fire, um, mm -hmm. which was here. We evacuated from that fire. Wow. Um, and after that, some things in habitat, in the habitat definitely changed. And we had these two coyotes that were just, it was like a game, you know, they kept finding ways in and we kept trying to block them out. And, um, but we're very welcoming of all smaller wildlife, right. except <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. As long as long as they don't bother the flowers, you're probably very welcoming. <laughs> oh, this has been so much fun. I'm so excited that we're gonna have the video to to combine this with. And then um I think I'll ask you for some of the arrangements, uh photos of your arrangements that we showed sure. on the screen. Absolutely. So sort of um put a little gallery together for our show notes. Um Laura, thank you so much. I'm so glad Absolutely. we got to spend this time together. It's always wonderful to be around people that just are as weird about plants as I am. So <laughs> good. Well, you're in the right group. All right. Thank you so Absolutely. much. so much for joining us today. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. 
formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Well, this is the final week of the month, and as you've heard, October is our Slow Flowers Society Membership Appreciation Month. Perhaps you have enjoyed our bonus content offered all month long, including our Instagram live conversations with members on special topics each Tuesday, and our lunchtime Zoom conversations with Tonali Gruder, our membership manager, which always took place on Thursdays. I'll share all the replay links in our show notes today for episode 581 at slowflowerspodcast.com in case you missed those. And if you haven't joined us as a member, this is your final reminder to click on over to slowflowerssociety.com where you will find details on joining Slow Flowers. All October, new members and all members who upgrade from standard to premium level will be included in a drawing for a fantastic gift. One name will receive our perennial level membership. That's a three-year membership with a $649 value. Please reach out with any questions. You can email membership at slowflowers.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than 900,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.